Most of us have that drive. Most of us engulf our lives into scaling and growing businesses. And I'm a believer that we need to put that same effort into, into our mm. spouse and into our children. Yeah, there's nothing more important than your primary relationship. It's one of the biggest financial decisions that you make is to really build that foundation. If you're going to be an entrepreneur who's going to go and get on a rocket ship, you better make sure that you and your family are on the same page so they're coming along. I'm Stephen Pesavento, and welcome to the Name Your Number podcast presented by The Investor Mindset. As someone who comes from a challenging childhood, I've spent my life seeking financial security, personal growth, and ultimately freedom. The freedom to not wake up worried about the next paycheck, but rather with the confidence of knowing that my passive income pays my bills without the need to think about it. When you name your number that you'll earn passively, that creates your ultimate quality of life, then I believe you've achieved real freedom. Welcome to my show. It's time to name your number. I have Bill Faith in the studio. How are you doing today, Bill? I am amazing. Thanks for having me today, Stephen. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you, Bill, because you're somebody who's, you know, you've been in the real estate game for almost 25 years. You've had a lot of success. You own your own portfolios. You're helping other people doing a variety of things. I'm really excited to kind of dive in to understand kind of the path towards getting there and the life and vision of that life that you're creating, because I think it's one that will be very inspiring for a lot of people. Before we get into that, tell me, what was the first thing that you named that first target of something that you were going after towards kind of creating a better life and a different life than, you know, the traditional, uh, the traditional world that most people live in. I mean, honestly, it started when I was a, a sophomore in high school. Um, my mom and father were divorced when I was five and I was an only child with a single mother who was a teacher back in the early eighties. Mm. Uh, and I started selling tea. I won't go through the whole long story of how I got to this point, but I started selling t-shirts at high school football games out of the back of my mom's 1984 Ford Tempo. Mm. And I remember there was a guy, Jay Chagobi in Los Angeles that gave me the t-shirts. He said, just sell them for 20 to 25 bucks. I'm going to charge you five. And he had this huge company called American Pacific at the time. It was probably like a 40 or $50 million, you know, apparel company. And I'll never forget my mom. After we sold the first 50 shirts, we literally, she literally were at the dining room table and she has the money on the left-hand side. And she's got like one of those old school, you know, like graph paper pads. And we're writing down how many shirts we sold, when we sold them, how much we sold them for and what we owe Mr. Jacoby. And it was like my first introduction to a PNL uh, when mm. I was 16. And my mom was just a teacher. She wasn't an entrepreneur. She wasn't a business owner at that time. And that was kind of the first, the first experience for me to kind of get an intimate relationship with my financials. Ironically, that's part of the focus of your podcast. And it's kind of resonated with me through my entire career. With that being said, I like a lot of human beings, I strayed a little bit in my twenties and thirties. And now I look back at 50 and I'm like, man, if I would have just stayed that course uh, through that entire kind of probably from 24 to 32, things would have just accelerated much faster. And I had to re be reintroduced by a mentor back into that intimate relationship. And then it's amazing when you do have that relationship with your financials, just how much more clear your decision-making process becomes as an entrepreneur. Well, it's such an incredible example because you started learning this really early. And a lot of people who are listening, myself included at one point in time, really didn't like doing the numbers, didn't like kind of diving into the financials and knowing all those little details. But I, like you, grew up broke, you know, single mom, four kids, 
you know, was always finding some kind of hustle, but it's once you actually get clear on how much you're making, what you're spending, what you need in order to, to kind of create the life that you want to create, that it becomes easier to then make those decisions about what you should do or you shouldn't do. And oftentimes a lot of people are just taking the money in, they're putting it out and they're essentially flying blind when it comes to actually knowing what it's going to take to create that life. It's interesting, Stephen, because the only reason I started selling t-shirts and my mom encouraged me to do it. Look, we weren't poor, but we were lower middle class. You know, she probably made like 30 grand a year. We had a house. I never, I never missed a meal, but I just started playing golf and getting really good, really fast where I was already a nationally ranked, uh, you know, as my sophomore year. And, but she couldn't afford like 1500 bucks for me to, I remember to fly to Kentucky to play in my first national championship. And that's when Jay stepped in and she literally on that pad said, Hey, here's what the airline flight's going to cost. Here's what it's going to cost to park at LAX. When we had, we lived in Bakersfield, California, here's mm-hmm. what gas is to get to and from LAX. She had everything mapped up. If I remember correctly, it was like 21, 2200 bucks for both of us to go. And she's like, if we can't sell and make this much money in the t-shirts, I don't make enough money to afford for you to be able to go. And it's really interesting. I'm 50 now, Steven, I have two daughters. 117, getting ready to go to Belmont University next year. The other's a freshman in high school. And one of the most important things outside of faith for me and my wife was to teach our daughters to become financially literate before they leave high school, all going back to what my mother did for me. Yeah, because going through that process, it's literally that simple to create almost anything that you want in your life. Because when you can get that pen and paper out and you can understand the numbers, Okay, you want to be able to go and live at a beach house six months out of the year. Well, how much is that going to cost? What is that going to look like? What are your options? Where is that money going to come from? And how can you create it in some kind of residual way where you're able to live that in the same comfort level of how you're living your life wherever you're at? And that really leads us into what I'm curious about next, because I think you've set your life up in a very interesting way. And we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But what do you really want from your life? What are you working towards? What are you working on creating? And why is that so important for you to create that kind of dream life vision that you have? It kind of goes back to 2015 when I didn't have this focus. At that time, I'd done 23 startups. I'd had 17 exits at that point, all bootstrapped Mm -hmm. uh, with no investors. And I was on this path, uh, you know, to go from being 40 to 50, I was doing like four and a half startups in a decade. Right. And I had this mentor named John Bairden who said, Bill, what's your life going to look like when you're 50? And I said, I don't know. He's all, well, you have the opportunity today to architect that outcome. And then what's it going to look like when you're 60? I said, I'd like to be retired at 60. He's like, okay, well, how much income are you going to need at 60? I'm like, are you freaking crazy? I don't know. I'm 40. That's 20 (laughs) years away. So he taught me how to project that just like we have to run projections in any business, right? Take what you're spending now, take what your lifestyle is now, what's your desired outcome? How much do you want to travel? Big difference if I'm going to travel in a $40,000 fifth wheel versus fly private versus take, you know, around the world cruises. We have to define that. So I had to sit down with my spouse, my wife, Bria, and get crystal clear on what all of these outcomes we desired. And what we found out is it all resonated. It all came back to we're probably some of the most active parents, at least that we know. We're the crazy parents that go watch our daughters practice high school soccer because (laughs) we want to be there. We want to be involved. We both had great childhoods, but man, my mom was working two jobs and I didn't have a father. I didn't have people, 
you know, pushing me and watching me and, you know, just there wasn't that time for my mother. So for us, everything was shaped around that. So number one, Stephen, we defined retirement, what that meant to us, because it's not Al Bundy, at least for me, sitting on the couch, <laughs> you know, when I get done selling shoes at the mall with my hand down my pants, watching reruns or whatever show, for me, it's still going to be business. It's still going to be engaged, but on my own terms. So we wanted to define what retirement meant to us and how we wanted to live in retirement. And then there's two different levels. There's the life plan that you have to have and the financial plan. And you mentioned like it's as simple as having a pen and a piece of paper. I think a lot of people, as you know, get stuck. I can't do P&Ls because I don't know how to operate QuickBooks. Or they think they, they're looking for the hurdle that is not that challenging to jump over, but mentally we make it way bigger than it is. We built everything out literally in our life plan on a post-it note and wrote it down. It's now mm -hmm. in a Google Doc so we can change it and update it. And mm -hmm. once we did that in 2015, at that time I was going to retire when I was 60. I wanted $500,000 in, in passive income, hence why I really dove heavily into real estate and short-term rentals at that point and all the other things. But we also have to consider the life events. And it's not just like my two girls graduating from high school. We're planning on having to take care of her parents. I had to take care of my mother for three years. I didn't realize it was going to cost me $8,000 a month to have mm -hmm. her and, you know, get the care that she needed. So we're budgeting that, but also strategically structuring our life around where our kids are going to potentially go to college and what we're going to have to do to take care of our, of my in-laws in the future. That all will prepare us to be able to hit the goals that we want. Now, just off my short-term rental uh, own portfolio, last year I made 997, just under a million. And I've hit all, checked every box for my financial goals with my other businesses, but it's waiting on those life events. So for me, it's like, how do I optimize my life even more now to make less money? I know that sounds crazy to some people because I don't need more, but to save more time so that way I can spend it with what's important to me, which are my kids and my family. And a lot of people say that, but I want you to understand today's Friday. As soon as I get done recording this with you, because I'm encroaching on very, very gracious time. My wife and I, it's one twelve my time from noon to four o'clock every Friday, me and her have what's called faith Friday. And we're right. auditing our successes and failures in our track to hit those long-term goals every single Friday. So when we get done recording, we're actually going to go for a walk together. Then we're going to go have an early dinner together. And we not only just talk about this, but we have the plan documented and we actually see what do we do financially. And then our daughters know the first thing they have to do when they get home from school is they have to give us the 15 minute audit of how we did as parents. Mm. And they grade us every single week. And it, I learned that from John Bairden. I built out, everybody has a planner, right? I built out my own planner that I follow. And my wife and I actually audit our successes and failures every single day in our planner. And then we bring that together on Friday afternoons. Well, I love all of this. There's so much to unpack here. I mean, you're really talking about sitting down and and really getting a clear vision of what that's going to look like. You're sitting down, you're you're understanding what are those roadblocks or those challenges that are going to come up and how can we financially plan for them? You're sitting down and you're getting clear on the values that you want to have as a family in your relationship and how you're going to actually instill those. And so everything that we're talking about, it's so fascinating because people, when they think about investing, they're thinking about money, 
But money is just the tool. It's just the catalyst to allow you to be able to go out and actually create that in the real world and have the ability to be able to do those things and have those experiences. So it, and it's really, it is that simple. I mean, we have a process we walk through people through in one of our programs and we have a, an advisor on our team. That's a 17 year certified financial planner that helps people figure out some of these financial pieces. But at the beginning, it really comes down to answering those questions for what's important to you, because bill, what you want from your life is going to be different than the next guy down the road, different from what I'm looking for and across the board. So no one can tell you what it is. They can inspire you to have some ideas, but I actually want to go on a little side quest because, um, you know, I heard you mention something about this, this routine that you have with your wife. How long have you guys been married? 25 years. So you guys have been married 25 years. And, you know, I had the gift of having two parents that uh, are both amazing people, but they hate each other. And, and they have for 30 years and a lot of poor relationship examples in front of me. So for the last decade, I've been asking this question and I'd love it if we could take a little side quest to answer it and kind of dive into what you've done to create that marriage. But if you were to look back 25 years before you got married, you were going to go talk to that version of yourself with all the knowledge and wisdom you have of creating a great 25 year marriage. What would you tell that younger version of yourself is the important things towards creating that type of lifelong partnership. I think I would go back and look at the mistakes that I made. And I was for the better part of gosh, 15 to 17 years, I was focused on business. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought that I was doing the right thing. And I'm the typical quadruple type a, you know, the, the Tim Allen from home improvement, rah, 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 you know, type of bust <laughs> through walls, you know, entrepreneur. And that's why I did so many startups. One, because I didn't like large businesses, but the problem was, is I was married to those businesses probably more than I was married to my wife. Mm. And if I didn't have, and just an incredible wife, I've never slept in a hotel. I've never had to sleep on the couch. We have always, she has always had the patience of Job when I'm traveling, when I'm doing whatever. And we would mitigate everything before we go to bed. And I think that's something that, you, you, you've got to choose your spouse wisely based on where you're moving forward. And then what I would say pre-marriage, her and I didn't have this discussion and I would have it if I had to do it over again, is really explaining and being 100% transparent and honest about what my goals were, what drives me and what life is going to look like. And that's a really hard conversation when you're 24, you know, and you're getting married. I'm 50 today. So I can't even visualize myself being able to have that conversation because she didn't know what to expect going into this. And she's just been a freaking trooper. She's been my lover, my best friend, my business partner, everything, you know, for 25 years. And we talk about this a lot, man, life is so different today than it was back then. I mean, we've, we've opened and scaled restaurants together. We were doing drop shipping with Brazilian bikinis and sarongs and swimwear in the early nineties on AOL mm -hmm. chat rooms. We've been through all of it, but we weren't prepared. Mm -hmm. Right. And it took having our oldest daughter and my wife bringing up my disdain for my father that left me, left my mother, all that angst that I've had for the mm -hmm. last 40 years of my life. And she, and she didn't mean it, but she said, you're turning into your father. My oldest mm -hmm. daughter was four and a half years old. She's like, we haven't been on a vacation since Gentry was born. You know, you work seven days a week. You're taking care of your customers more than you're taking care of your family. And that's when just the light went off. 
And I had always had the drive to not become my father and do what he did to me and my mother. But in a different way, I wasn't really consciously choosing it, but subconsciously I was just putting something else as the priority. Hmm. So if I could go back, I would really want to take the knowledge I have today and explain to her what's going to happen over the next 25 years. Because I think most marriages that we go into, they just don't have deep enough conversations. It's really surface. Even when you go to marriage counseling and stuff, it's kind of surface level stuff. And I think people are afraid to have those conversations. And that's the biggest piece of advice that I would give to me is don't be afraid to open up. You don't have to protect her. She is so strong. You can share the good, the bad, and the ugly. All she wants to do is know what really is going on in here. Well, I really appreciate the vulnerability because you're speaking directly to me. I'm sure a lot of people will get benefit from this, but you know, I carry a lot of that fear and trauma from the past. And I've put so much into business that I am very much in line with you. I'm pre-marriage. I'm at that point where I'm I'm wanting to have those types of conversations to pick somebody who's going to be a ride or die partner for the long term. But knowing what challenges are going to come up when you're an entrepreneur, when you're in business and being in alignment that this is the life that you're going to create. I think there's probably nothing more powerful that a couple could do. And even if you're in the midst of it now, no better time to have it. Just like you guys had it. You had that wake up moment that made you realize that, (laughs) oh, well, now's my chance to really reconnect and rebuild so that the next chapter of life is even better than the last. I, I agree. And it's rebuilding financially and personally. Um, look, I I'm afraid of going bankrupt. I've got mm-hmm. over $20 million in liquid assets. I've done very, very well for myself financially, but I'm still afraid of going bankrupt. Right. And cause I've been close before i never have And it was as recent as 2010 when Nashville, I lived in Nashville when we had the flood right on the back of the recession. Mm. So that's not that long ago. And that's kind of what drives me. But I also think a lot of entrepreneurs end up being bankrupt personally at home. They may, they may be successful financially, but when you have too much focus on that and their home life is not the priority, then you become bankrupt at home. You look at the divorce rate in the country is like 50%. But if you look at successful entrepreneurs, it's like 72%. That's almost 45% higher than the standard. It's because most of us have that drive. Most of us engulf our lives into scaling and growing businesses. And I'm a believer that we need to put that same effort into into our Mm. spouse and into our children. Yeah, there's nothing more important than your primary relationship. It's one of the biggest financial decisions that you make is to really build that foundation. If you're going to be an entrepreneur who's going to go and get on a rocket ship, you better make sure that you and your family are on the same page so they're coming along with you. Otherwise, you end up growing beyond and then you know that separates things. So I appreciate you joining me on that side quest and sharing some wisdom. You know, at this point, you know, whether we talk about the specific number or not, what is your number? the point that which you've made it where you don't have to work. And the reason I asked this is because, you know, back in 2020, I sold my personal home. I went out to Hawaii during the pandemic and you couldn't get on the Island. We found a way on. And there was this retired builder who owned the Airbnb we were renting. It was the former beach boys estate, this big, beautiful nine acre spot. But I was talking to him and we were kind of sharing you know, the vision, what I'm creating and I'm driving forward. And he asked me this question. He said, well, what's your number? What's that point where it's enough, where you're going to be content, where you can live the life you want to live. And 
you know, that number always kept growing and changing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the growth and change, but it made me really think about that. And so when it comes to, you've clearly gone through some of this vision setting process, what did coming up with that number and drawing that line in the sand do for you? And what would you recommend other people take away from doing the same? I think I think those the, those thoughts, those notions, those desires are going to change as you evolve as an entrepreneur. I mean, if you're in if you're in the early stages of the journey, it's going to be completely different than where I'm at, which is basically on the back end mm-hmm. um, at this point. So the way I think today, I could have never thought of when I was 25 or 30 years old. Um, my number financially, I've already hit that number. Um, it used to be five hundred thousand dollars a year in total income, and then as you hit that, then you continue to grow and you continue to grow. Um, I make multiple seven figures today, but I'm optimizing down. As I said earlier, like my owned real estate portfolio did $997,000 in net income in 22. My goal is to actually drop that down. If I can sustain it, that's great. Mm-hmm. If I could increase it vanity wise by three grand to hit seven figures, that <laughs> would be a mental victory. But the reality is my number's time. Mm-hmm. And I would have never answered it with time, um, you know, 20 years ago. It's literally 15 is my number. 53 hours a day is what I want to work. But then there was a different shift. And it's like, well, why don't I work five hours a day, three days a week? And that's the goal. It is not the way I operate as a a coach, an influencer, whatever we're called these days. Um, I spend way, I've been able to reinvest my time into that. And I spend 20 to 30 hours a week, most of it actually pro bono to try to help because the help mentality is just in my blood. My entire family are educators, you know, like teachers, principals, uh, like true educators. Well, I dropped out of UCLA and didn't get a degree. So I can't be a true educator. So this is the way for me to be able to educate. And that time allocation whether it's pro bono or it's for profit is irrelevant to me. Uh, it's the fact that if I can give back and if I can educate and be accessible when most people in our space are not accessible and help, then that doesn't constitute as work for me. So for work, for like true professional time, I kind of classify that at 15 hours. I try to do that. Uh, and, and it varies week to week. It could be three days at five hours a day. It could be five days at three hours a day but that creates that time for me to do what I'd love and have that passion for. And that's to help people. So it's 15 hours more than it is financial. Well, see, it's interesting too, because it's such a great example of the next level. You hit that financial number, you hit it again, you hit it again, you created this vision for your life. And now it's optimizing to that vision. How can you pull yourself out further and further having more time to then dedicate to the thing that you care about your purpose you want to help people change their life and do the same a hundred percent and i and for your listeners out there i'm not the automation va guy i'm the brute force you know boots on the ground i do my own shit, right and i've got plenty of automation and technology in my businesses that's where i can do you know 80 hours or 50 hours a, a week in you know 5 to 10 or 15 hours but mm-hmm. i'm the one that's directly involved i'm not one of the absentee owners that we see out there or the guy that's pitching hey make a million dollars in you know 9 months and you know work 2 hours a week i don't think that stuff's a reality 
But yeah. I believe we can optimize everything. We can optimize our family. We can optimize our spousal relationship. We can optimize our sex life. We can optimize, you know, our professional life. A lot of things we can optimize. And kind of, as you said earlier, we're all on these different paths. How you choose to optimize is your way. So one of the things that I love, I grew up playing basketball before I got into, you know, golf at the competitive level and playing professional golf. And I, I was fortunate enough that my grandfather paid for me to go to John Wooden's basketball camp twice, the legendary mm. UCLA basketball coach and arguably mm. one of the greatest coaches in the history of coaching for anything. And, you know, he had a, a couple of couple of teachings that he had in his pyramid of success. And number one was always to work swiftly, but don't be fast and out of control. And two was optimize everything that you do. And that's something that I've always learned. And it was a challenge, Stephen, as, as a, a golfer, in high school, then in the short time I was at UCLA before I dropped out and I played professional golf because you had to optimize your time because golf takes so much time, mm -hmm. but also you had to self-direct that. You had to self-manage mm -hmm. that. You had to self-inspire. You had to self-motivate because you don't have a coach like in team sports, right? And I think that has been something that's been absolutely beneficial for me to actually grow up without a father, to grow up with just a mother, and then to migrate into this individual sport but that, because it makes it so much more interesting the couple of times you get into that team component, right? Mm -hmm. And it gives that independence. It's You have to be driven. You have to self-motivate. You have to self-inspire. And most importantly, you have to have self-commitment and accountability. And I think those are the things that I see a lot of traits in successful entrepreneurs, but we got to make sure that transcends over to family as well. And a lot of us just tend to leave that behind. Man, so, so true. So true. It's all about knowing what you're really going after. And, you know, I think I want you to share a little bit about kind of this lifestyle that you've created, because obviously you had a bunch of business success. You had some exits, you kind of redirected your vision and I'll, I'll share mine. And then I think it it just goes to show kind of uh, I'm looking at what you've created and I'm I'm excited about it. For me personally, I want to have you know, a beautiful mountain house with great views and be able to ski. I want to have a beautiful beach house. I've been splitting my time between the beach and the mountains for the last four or five years. And then I want to have uh, one of those houses be the place. Maybe it's a separate house in the city where the family has got their foundation. Mm -hmm. Kids go to school and we do this thing, but we have the ability to go and travel around and enjoy the good life. I know you've created that. So I'd love if you'd share that just as an example of what you can do when you're very specific in that vision and you go out to do it. Yeah. It kind of, we, we built the life plan, right. And the personal and the financial, my wife and I got unified and what we both agreed on that the number one place we wanted to have in retirement was the beach. Mm. And at the time when we started this, we could not afford to go to, we live in Nashville, so everybody goes to the Panhandle, right? So like everybody mm -hmm. talks about Destin and then the super high end is 30A right next to Destin. Uh, we wanted to go to 30A, but what my wife wanted was to see the water, hear, hear the waves and smell it. And mm -hmm. even back in 2015, you could not get that for under a million bucks. We had 125 mm -hmm. grand we we're gonna invest. We went to Gulf Shores, Alabama, the Redneck Riviera, you know, a couple mm -hmm. hours to the west, still white sand beaches. It was great. We bought our first beach house. Um, we learned how to self-manage ourselves as, you know, an, an Airbnb, a VRBO, a short-term rental host, made a hundred grand in the first year, took the profits in year number two and bought our second one. 
what we learned is is that as a couple we we love the beach but then we bought a lake house mm. and we're like wow we got sea dews we got boats we that gets closer we can actually drive two and a half hours away we were lake people mm-hmm. we're like holy shit if we yeah. if we love the lake we might be mountain people <laughs> and we bought a place in north carolina in the mountains not the smokies but in banner elk a massive place yeah and then we learned how to ski we're like hey we love skiing all through that time we had this one vacation that changed our lives forever i took my family to yellowstone right in the heart of covid uh to go see the park and we fell in love with montana and wyoming so this february i bought my montana property that's my river property it's about 15 minutes outside of whitefish montana so i get the best view i've ever seen I fly fish, literally I can be smoking a tri-tip on my Traeger and throwing the fly in the water. It's so close to the water uh, from the deck, but it's also 15, 25 minutes to go ski and whitefish. Um, So that was our Montana property. We've got a place in Scottsdale. I'm an ex-golf professional. We want to have, so we got warm climate, golf, ski, Montana. We're closing on another property next week, right next to the entrance to Glacier National Park. We've got the lake, we've got the beach. So that's, Whoops. That's two in Montana. That's the beach. It's the lake. It's the North Carolina mountains and it's Scottsdale. Those are six properties. All of those are a hundred percent paid for by my investment short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. So typically I learned from my business partner, we started a business glow in the dark miniature golf courses and shopping malls around the country uh, Mm -hmm. in 2003. And he was a second franchisee into pizza hut in 1968. Uh, At the time it was worth just under a billion dollars. And we grew our glow-in-the-dark miniature golf business to about $40 million in annual revenue pre-COVID. And one of the things that I learned from him was to cluster uh, our businesses and cluster our investments. So when we would go into, uh, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, as an example, we'd have three locations in Louisville. If we went into Chicago or, you know, Boston, we'd open up at least three locations to maximize uh, labor. And what he did with Pizza Hut is he never had a general manager. So they bought geographically close to where they could pay an assistant manager at each location and then have a district manager. And he said, Bill, over the last 40 years, that's probably saved me about three or four million dollars because he had like 300 pizza huts um, at one time. So I started clustering and I've applied that exact same thing into my real estate investment strategies as well, whether it's long term, short term, you know, or multifamily, Um, because it does give me economies of scale. But one of the other reasons outside of most people to get into real estate, and I'm sure you know this, Stephen, they invest within like a five to 10 mile radius of where they live because they're not comfortable going outside of their local uh, you know, community. And when you can open up the country as your oyster or internationally, you can find higher producing income properties, regardless if it's short-term, mid-term or long-term, but also then you can diversify geographically. And it's not as important in the long-term space or even in the midterm space, but when you are in the profit maximizing arena of short-term rentals, the having cash flow diversification from beach to, mm-hmm. you know, ski markets is abundantly critical. And then you think about earthquakes in California for, I mean, I literally had a forest fire at that Montana property. I just closed on in February with 3.2 miles away from that house mm. two weeks ago. Um, I had, I lost a property in hurricane Sally, you know, in the panhandle. So geographic diversification and clustering have been two cores to how I've grown out my portfolio. Well, it's so cool because I think this concept that I've carried, which is, you know, this is how I started doing business, started doing Airbnb back in 2014. 
Um, I went to go travel to visit a girl out of state. I got paid to go and do it. And I got hooked. I immediately got another property and the third property in Boulder ran that for a couple of years until the regulations changed, moved to another house, started my business, left my personal home one week out of the month and paid to create the business that I now run today by being able to bootstrap it like that. And so it's such a powerful way to think because if you're deciding, Hey, I want this thing in my life. How can you get somebody else to pay for it? How can you get your clients, i.e. the renters on these vacation rent rentals to be able to fund that so that you can go and do the fun things and create that life that you want to create. So I think it's such a great example. You can do it across the board in so many ways. Um, but I really appreciate you being on bill. Um, got one more question before you, we wrap up, but just for the audience, you know, you're teaching people how to create the life they want to live and doing that using short-term rental as a strategy. How can people find out more about you or uh, follow along? Um, I've got a couple of websites, probably the easiest place, uh, billfaith.com. That's F-A-E-T-H, billfaith.com. And also buildstrwealth.com. Uh, and it's uh, it's a journey that that I've been on since 2015 and have completely changed my life. I've got 30,000 members uh, in my Build STR Wealth Facebook group that's free. Uh, if you want to join that and kind of start your journey there and I've just, you can find me anywhere. I've got multiple podcasts, YouTube, just Google my name and, and you'll see it all. It's Bill Faith, F-A-E-T-H. Um, and, you know, happy to to help you along with your journey as well. It's been, uh, it's been super fun. Thanks so much for joining us as we wrap up for all the people who are listening there, they have that vision. They understand what they're they're looking to go after, but yet they still have that fear, that fear of taking action, that fear of doing something different. What advice do you have to those listeners who want to make a change, but they can't seem to get themselves to move? You've just got to take that first step, right? And I think one of the things that I learned is when I when I dropped out of UCLA at 19 and turned professional, I started working with a, a sports psychologist named Dr. Bob Rotella. The power of positive thinking is critical. Most people try to avoid the crash. They try to avoid driving their golf ball into the water. You got to focus where you want it to go. The only way you're going to be able to do that, and this is the most important thing that I'll share with you today. You have to give yourself permission to succeed. Mm. We literally need to have that self-talk with ourselves and say, Bill, you will be successful. You can be successful. It is ingrained in you to become successful. I don't care how much shit you've gone through in your life. And every hurdle you've had to jump over, how bad your life is, if you start believing in yourself and you give yourself permission, you can achieve some bit pretty big things. That's awesome. Well, it's such it's so good to uh, good to talk with you here today, Bill. Thanks so much for joining us, and thank you all for listening to the Investor Mindset Show. Um, definitely take some time to reflect on what you can take away from today's episode and. Put one thing into action. Take that first step towards creating the life you want. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com slash invest. Join me on that next deal. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. 
Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. Hey, this is Steven again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is the Insider's Newsletter. Would you enjoy getting a single email every week with some of my favorite things, including tips and strategies on how to get the most out of your life and your investments? Basically, what it is is some of the coolest things that I've discovered or am pondering when it comes to life, investing, and business delivered in a short email every week to your inbox. Easy to sign up for, easy to cancel. If you'd like to try it out, type into your browser, investormindset.com newsletter to get started, and you'll get the very next one.